Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this really is just a, a few thoughts that I'd like to share with you. One of the things I remember in my time of being chaplain up at um, Pitlochry High School, early, this is in the first few years I remember someone saying this to me. I can't remember if it was a teacher uh, or pupil or whoever it was. But they said something like, you always just come in and tell us how much God loves us. And my, probably the first thing I wanted to do was object. Well, I actually told you a lot more than that. <laughs> but I didn't. I just took it for what it was. Great compliment. It is known as a chaplain that comes in and, and looks at Psalm 139. Not just once, twice, but all the time and reminds everyone that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God loves them. And I today just want to focus in on that, the love of God, not as some abstract way out there theology or doctrine, doctrine, although what greater doctrine can there be than the doctrine that says God is love? I want us to bring it much closer to home. I want you to know. I can, uh, I can only say the words, and therefore I desire that the, the Spirit of God, you would be open to the Spirit of God, speaking deep into your soul to say, you're loved. And you know exactly what that means because we're all zipped up differently. And the love that I need to feel from God at this moment may have been different from the love I needed to feel from God when I was 15, when I first experienced the love of God in my head and in my heart. So that you are loved. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, Deuteronomy, which means um, the second law, uh, Deutero means second and nomos means law. So it's, it's probably a series of sermons that Moses is delivering to Israel. This is 40 years after the, that they've came out of Egypt. And they've wandered in the desert. So Moses is probably talking to those who were too young to... Um, to grieve God's heart at early doors. And you know that whole generation grieved God's heart and therefore were not allowed to enter into the land, the promise, and receive it. Or it may include those who were born afterwards, born during the wandering years within the desert. So God, or Moses, is speaking a series of sermons to this people who are just about to fight for their lives they are in a precarious position about to go and take possession of the land from peoples that God had mentioned when he made his covenant with Abraham. A covenant that was all one-sided and usually covenants are between two equal partners. You see the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 speaks of the people that God would um, drive out of the land for this nomadic people whom he's called his own. And it's a covenant that only God can make. And it demonstrates again his character and who he is like. So they're just about 
to go in and take possession of the land. And Deuteronomy 7 um, features a lot of quite difficult passages to work out that on the face of it may cause many people to stumble and to stop and wonder what type of God this is. But that's not for today. This part, part I'm going to focus in on is what they can expect from God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possessions. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were, fee you were fewest, the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I believe God is saying to God's people, I believe Moses is saying by the Spirit to God's people that they can begin to look to rest in him. That they can now begin to trust in him. They can believe in his promises that has been spoken to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob, Israel. And that they can depend on his power and that he will see them through no matter what. But why is the question? What is so remarkable about this nomadic race, these Hebrews, these, this slave nation, this nation whose identity was birthed in slavery, what is so remarkable about them amongst all the peoples in that region? And the truth is, Absolutely nothing. Nothing is remarkable about Israel in the slightest. They weren't better militarily. They weren't morally superior. They weren't the biggest and they were not the best. There was nothing in and of Israel itself that demanded, that merited the love of God in such a remarkable way. The covenant making God, making the covenant with their forefather Abraham. It's simply because of this God wanted to. And this is what God is like. And when I say God, I'm meaning the Lord Yahweh. Because there are many gods who compete for our love, affection, and worship. But I'm speaking of the Lord Yahweh who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Moses. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the fullness of God was revealed. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. 
says this of God's love for Israel. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have drawn you. It's everlasting. It takes time. As I think of my early testimony of being introduced to a radical community of faith, having left one which was a community of death and hatred, it took probably four years of watching and waiting before that Saturday and leaving a youth weekend away where I was very conscious in my heart of the everlasting love of God. A love which drew me with loving kindness. And this love is passionate. He says, I have set my love upon you. I have given you, not because you were the best, not because you were the, the biggest, but because of who I am. Now this is, I'm speaking of Israel, the nation. And we know that because of Jesus, that we've been grafted into that blessing, to that promise. As Abraham was, his, his faith, um, his belief was accredited to him as faith. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he took upon him the fullness of the wrath of God. I believe he lived the, lived the perfect life and he crushed the powers of Hades and hell and darkness and now holds those keys. I believe he is the first of the resurrection, the first fruit. He's ascended to the Father in physical, not a, a spiritual form, but in physical form with the scars of his love on his side, his feet, and in his hands. Scars that he will have forever and ever and ever. Demonstration of his love. Demonstrations of the character of God. Because God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Now I know many people here and I know uh, what you're good at. And, and in Scotland or maybe in Britain, we like to just, we kind of don't do that as much. But it was important to say to four guys who are uncles and brothers and dads, keep doing that. There is something beautiful about what you're called to do. And I can say other things about Dan's faithfulness. Yes, I can tongue-in-cheek say he's a nightmare half the time, but that would be disingenuous because it's all about speaking the truth and Dan is a faithful man. I can say that about many of us here, but the most important thing would be for us to realise ourselves, our worth, our value. How valuable are you? Seriously, when we are in a time when suicides among young men is rife, it's important to say to people, you are of value, you are of worth. 
I have loved you with an everlasting love, God says, revealing his character. I have set my love upon you. You are mine. So we remember the love of God. And we remember with a somber heart. We, we, some of us have shared communion already this week. Um, and we don't want to do it again just as a force of habit. We want to take our time and remember love and why love came. Jesus so desired to do the Father's will. Take this cup from me. But may your will be done. If not possible for the cup to be lifted from me, may your will be done. It was because of love that he hung on the cross. It was because of us who are fearfully and wonderfully made. He desired to draw us back into a right relationship, to be justified before the Father in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, to become like him, or to use another technical phrase, to be sanctified, to become like Jesus. Daniel, to become like Jesus, so that people are drawn to God the Father through Daniel. Amen. May it be so. But how lovable are you? What is the value of you? Do you feel of worth? Hear again what God said to his people, to us, his people, through faith. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other people's for you were the fewest of other peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. And he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I invite us to come forward at the right time and to be freed from slavery. To confess Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Christ, the one that was spoken of, who came, died, was raised from the dead, has ascended to the Father in glory and has sent his spirit so that we are not orphans, but to continue the work of the kingdom until that day Jesus returns, not in the cradle, but in glory. I invite you to meet him, to examine your hearts. For those of us who have followed Jesus for many years to examine our hearts. If our hearts are thankful because we, we appreciate the love of God, come with a thankful heart. But if it's numb with the cares of the world and with bad habits or things that people have laid in you, come with that numbness and confess it in faith and ask for freedom from that slavery. Come and receive prayer for yourselves or for others and celebrate that he has laid his affection upon you, Ian. And you, Chris.
and you, Ian. Because that's who he is. Nothing of our own causes us to deserve this. And it's all because of who he is and what he has done. Glory to Christ our Saviour.